next stop, the Super Bowl. Hell yeah, you know we on. We built to do this all night long. Who that? Who that say they gon' beat them Saints? They a lie. They can try, but in the don't we know they ain't. Let's go. We on the road. The next stop, the Super Bowl. Who that? And welcome back to Kenosha Chronicles podcast. I'm your host as always. Brendan Ertle. Today we have a very special episode. I'm talking with Matt Monacharian, a former Saints and Browns scout. He was in the NFL for six years and now he's an expert in the NFL draft. Here is the interview. Okay, now we have six-year NFL scout for the Saints and Browns. He is the editor and vice president of SIS Football. Him and his company created the NFL Rookie Handbook. It's Matt, Mr. Matt Monacharian. Welcome to the show. Hey, what's going on, Brandon? Thanks for coming on. T- tell us a little about a little bit about your rookie handbook and what you guys got going o- over there on, at SIS. Yeah, so uh, this is our third year doing the SIS Football Rookie Handbook. Uh, f- first time we have actually a digital edition, so you could get it on your Kindle or you can get the uh, the old school seven hundred pages, uh, whichever way you want it. But um, basically, the Football Rookie Handbook takes my experience as a scout with, you know, most of that time with the Saints, also with the Browns and the different kind of scouting methods that I've learned. And we have our own scouting department at SIS. So we're putting together scouting reports on over 300 players from a traditional NFL style evaluation. And then along with that, what we specialize in at SIS is data and analytics and the analytical evaluation of players. And so we give you kind of a snapshot of each of these prospects what they are statistically, what, what kind of the analytics says about them, so to speak. Um, and we've got lots of cutting edge, brand new stats, things that that's never been seen before anywhere else. And the whole goal is to make you the GM so that you can have, Hey, the, the scouts and the analysts aren't, aren't always going to agree with each other, but this lets you make the decision and gives you the information. For sure. For the people who do follow up and get the handbook and look at all the information, how, what goes into the grading process? I know like, for example, I'm just going to make this up. Trevor Lawrence has a 9.2 grade. Uh, what goes into that actual number grade? Is it like every single throw? What goes into that? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. So on the scouting side, we grade traits and we give overall grades. And this is the same thing I did at both uh, New Orleans and in Cleveland. You give trait grades. So every trait that a player has. So for a quarterback like Trevor Lawrence, like you said, uh, we'll be grading them on accuracy. We'll be grading them on decision-making. We're grading them on their clutch performance. These are what we call the critical factors. And then there are positional factors, usually about a dozen of them, depending on what the position is. So we grade each and every trait that the quarterback has on several games of film. We'll watch usually about six games of film on, on a given player, but uh, it all depends you know, who you're looking at. With the quarterback, sometimes we give a little bit extra attention. Um, but you get those grades. So you look at the critical factors. You see a seven for accuracy for Trevor Lawrence, a six for decision-making and a seven for clutch performance. What we look for in the trait grades is six or better. A Mm -hmm. six means you're winning most of your NFL matchups. So when you get a player like that, who's sixes and sevens across the critical factors, you're talking about an NFL solid starter plus, and that's what we get with our final grade. So the final grade will have a decimal point in it, and that'll be anywhere from 1.0 to 9.0. But most players are stacked in kind of the the 5.4 to 7.0 range with this mm-hmm. 5.4 being a free agent grade and a 7.0 being this guy's an immediate Pro Bowl level player at his position, a, a top five player 
right when they walk in the league. And that's where we have Trevor Lawrence graded, for example. So um, that all goes in. And these, this is only the scout grade. That's not even touching any of our statistics yet. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. Good stuff. I know you spent a lot of time with the Saints. So you know that personnel group more than anyone else. They have picked 28. Of course, they're in the odd situation that they are with the salary cap and whatnot. I know it's early in the offseason, but what could you see them doing with that 28th pick? Uh, you know, that's a good question. I think uh, from my experience when we were when when we were in New Orleans, we always did our best picking when uh, there was real consensus. So that meant across the scouts, across the coaches, um, when you had a vision for a player, those were the guys that usually tended to pan out. When there was, you know, one player that I remember missing, I don't even know if you remember this back in the day, Martez Wilson was a linebacker that we mm-hmm. took out of Illinois. And man, he had all kinds of athleticism. There were things that people liked about him, but there was never consensus in the building on what the vision was for that player. Um, so I think that's the key thing with, with, with understanding where the Saints are going forward. Now, when you look at it in terms of needs, which I don't think um, Mickey and Sean tend to do very much, I think they really try to think about things in terms of building their team. Right now, it's a totally different situation. It's been Drew Brees forever. Mm-hmm. I'm, I don't know if you have a better sense than I do. It seems like Jameis Winston is likely to be the starting quarterback next year, but there's Taysom Hill in the mix uh, and all of that. But that's the position to be resolved because, I mean, you're talking about Alvin Kamara. You're talking about an offensive line that's stacked. Uh, potentially the tight end position could be could be a place where you look to upgrade. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you got another free agent there. So um, there are some guys that could be available that would be in that range, like a Pat Fryermuth from Penn State. That's a real interesting player because he can get it done in the passing game, but he also brings traditional things that a tight end brings to the equation. So I could see I could see moving in that direction, trying to get some more uh, pieces offensively without having to pay for them just because of the, mm-hmm. the cap space. Um, but offensive line, you'd think the Saints are set. And defensively, really, uh, you know, personnel-wise, one thing we put in the book is um, positional group rankings. And we've got this the Saints above average at every single position group on defense. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, the obvious place would be tight end. Uh, Fryermuth would be an interesting player if he was available at that spot. Um, but really, I think you, you got to sit there and see how the board develops. You know that, that those guys are going to have their cloud Right. They're going to have they still call it the cloud. Right. Where they, I remember on the whiteboard, we would have five, six players names. And whenever we were picking heck, the year that we got Cam Jordan, we were sitting there. I think it was at pick 24 and we had six guys in the cloud. And I think five of them were still available, including Cam, who was our easy pick there. But sure enough, Mark Ingram was also in that cloud. Mm-hmm. And when the Patriots came calling and wanted to trade, which I think was still a dumb trade that we made because we gave up too much. Um, it was, Hey, we still, Mark Ingram was in our, was in our cloud to take it 24 and he's available at 28. Let's go get him, uh, was the thought process there. And so even though I'm not much of a fan of, of trading up, I will say that the, the reason why Cam and Mark Ingram both worked out with the saints was, was because there was a clear vision for both of those guys. I'm glad that you keep mentioning vision because it really feels like from an outsider perspective that the saints find a player that they want and they'll do anything to go get it. Last year, uh, they talked about trading up for Caesar Of course, Marcus Davenport, they did everything they could to go get him. You already talked about a little bit, but talk about how the Saints have that vision for a player. And if there is any opportunity this year, they would go up and trade up again or um, what they would do that with that 20th overall pick here. You mentioned a little bit, but um, the Saints are known not really for trading down, but for trading up. So is that just them going? Is that just them thinking, Okay, I don't think this player is going to be there. Or are they just being safe, just getting their guy for sure, that they know that will fit with the team? 
I think what you see across the board when you talk about Mickey is he's going to figure out a way to do whatever they feel strongly about, right? And so especially for the last heck, 10 years, when Drew Brees has been in that window, Mickey's been the first one that would tell you right away, hey, this is our window. We got number nine. We can't take this for granted. And that's why you saw them always pushing the salary cap. And uh, I think that's similar to the, the, the reason why there's been a, a, a tendency to, to trade up as opposed to trade down. Because it's when you got number nine and you think you can get Davenport and he's going to be that pass rusher that you need to compliment Cam Jordan, you go get him. Or um, if you feel like Alvin Kamara is sitting there and you know that that player can be something for you and you had no, you had no reason to believe he was going to be sitting there in the third round, you go get him. Mm -hmm. So those, those moves all make a lot of sense when you're in that window. I wonder if we'll see a little bit of a change in philosophy. I wonder if, I'm, I'm assuming a Breeze retirement right now, but I, am I safe to say that in your opinion? I would, I would say you're safe to say that. So if that's the case, will we see Mickey who really is a finance, a finance guy, right? At back in the day, back from his Seahawks days, he came up as a cap expert. Is he going to say, okay, we've been kicking the can down the road. Maybe we're going to do what we saw the Patriots do last year mm -hmm. where they kind of ate it for a year. Now, the Saints are much better than the Patriots were last year coming in. So I don't think they can eat it to that level. But I wonder if there'll be a little bit of a change in the attitude or if it's, heck, we're going to pick up right where we left off going from Drew to Jameis and we're going to keep it the same way. And, we're and, and hey, it's in Sean Payton's DNA for if he wants somebody, he's going to go get him. I think at the end of the day, you see mm -hmm. the trade up and you see these, these picks because Sean walks into Mickey's office and he says, Hey, we got to go get this guy. He's going to help us win the Super Bowl." And Mickey says, yeah, trusting Sean Payton has, has done served me well in life. I'm going to do that. You know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That leads into my next question. Actually, every, every year that Sean Payton has been with the saints, he's at least traded up once. Do you think this is the year where the saints say, okay, we have, we've done great drafting later on guys, CJ Gunner, Johnson, Camara. Marcus Williams, guys like that, they found later in the draft. Is this a year where they could maybe eat, bite the bullet and trade that first round pick back and maybe get a couple more picks just because the contract problems they have and the confidence they have in those scouts to maybe draft uh, a guy that could replace someone else with a big contract? Do you, could you see them trading back? Yeah, I could. I could. I think there's there's a little bit of a thirst from the scouting side of the organization to, to kind of restock the cupboard. And I could see that. At the same time, um, I don't think there's any predisposition to either do that or to trade up. I think that that they come in probably thinking they'd rather trade back than trade up. But most, like you said, every year they've traded up at least once because they've, they've seen that guy and they've, they've said, we're going to go get him. So I could see it being that year. I could see it being a year where they do some trading up and some trading down. Mm -hmm. um, the interesting thing about the draft this year is because of the nature of the COVID season and all the eligibility rules that are changed, we have a bit thinner of a draft class in general. Um, plenty of players entering the draft, right? We're not going to have any problem getting through seven rounds. But I think as you get in further into day three this year, you look at a draft that has a little bit less depth than what we see because you've had, you have 50-year seniors who can go back for a 60-year this year and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Um, now, on the top end, I think it's a really strong draft. So um, I don't think there's any problems with the top hundred players being thin. I think it's as strong a top hundred as we had last year. The receiver class is absolutely ridiculous. Um, but uh, in terms of trading down, that would be the one thing that you'd have to be careful about is making sure that 
Because if you get a fifth round player this year, that might be like a sixth round player mm -hmm. in another year. So you just have to be careful with that and make sure that you're trusting your process and getting the proper value. For sure. My last question is going to be, maybe not just you personally, but with your time with the Saints, maybe what was their biggest hit and biggest miss? Was there a moment where like, hey, Mickey, I really like this guy. And maybe they went in a different direction. Or uh, just, just tell us a story about something that they hit and missed on. That's uh that's pretty interesting. I feel like I gave I gave the miss. Martez Wilson yeah. is the one that really stands out in my mind. Um, and the problem there was a lack of consensus. Like I said, it 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 wasn't a vision for the player. And if you talk to the coaches, the linebackers coaches, the defensive coordinator, the scouts, the area scout, the cross check, you never got the same picture of what this guy was gonna be. Um, and that that should have been a red flag from the very beginning. Um, in terms of hits. Man, it's, it's hard to beat Cam Jordan in terms of the hits while I was there. Akeem Hicks was another really great pick mm -hmm. that we made. Um, that was the year after we picked Cam. Was it that year or two years after? It was whatever year it was. It was no first-round pick and no second-round pick. I think it was a combination of trading one away and a bounty gate penalty for the other one. Mm -hmm. So we had to sit there and watch 90 players get chosen before <laughs> we picked one or 70-something, whatever it was. Um, but what that enabled us to do was to sit back and really focus in. So whereas most years, everybody's laser focused on the first round into the second round, the kind of high tier players that, that, that are really, you think are going to be immediate starters, difference makers. We were able to be really, really focused in on the guys that we uh, expected to be available there. And um, that was one thing that um, I think led to that being one of our better picks that we made over that time. Um, Heck, there were also some things that were like Travaris Cadet getting him just, just mm -hmm. off the trash heap, people like that. Um, and, and you never know, honestly, you never know until when you're talking about that level of prospect, until they get in your facility, until you kind of, as we say, unwrap the gifts in whether it be mini camps in a normal year or training camp or whatever it was in, in mm -hmm. 2020. Um, you, never, you never fully know until, until you unwrap the gifts. Um, so that's what makes it so much fun. Yeah, the Saints have always found gems after the draft, like Pierre Thomas, this year Marcus Callaway, Deontay Harris, guys like that. They just do, they do their good work. But to wrap things up, let everyone know where you can find, where they can find you on Twitter, where they can get your handbook. Give us all the information. Yeah, um, so on Twitter, I'm at Matt Mano at M A T T M A N O, and you can find Sports Info Solutions at Sports Info underscore S I S. Um, we'll be putting out uh, some sample scouting reports from the handbook, different things that you'll see there. Um, you can also check out our website, sisdatahub.com, which is our advanced stats website. You're just going to see NFL stuff there, but you can see some of our advanced stats and analysis. We've got something called total points that you'll see there and that you'll see throughout the football rookie handbook, which is really one individual stat that takes all of the wealth of information that we collect and boils it down into how many points each player was worth in each game. Um, so, um, if you're interested in learning more about that, check out sisdatahub.com. And of course the football rookie handbook, which is available mm -hmm. through our publisher, actasports.com, A-C-T-A sports.com, or you can grab it on Amazon, wherever you get your gifts and, uh, there's a, uh, wherever you get your books rather, um, it makes a great gift. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's available on Kindle ebook. Um, yeah. Anywhere that you find books, go get the football rookie handbook. Good stuff. Thank you so much for coming on Matt. Thank you for having me. Let's go. We on the road. The next stop, the Super Bowl. Hell yeah. You know we are. We built to do this all night.
Stop it in the dome.